Our Heavenly Father, we return our thanks unto thee for the privilege of having a share with thee in the work of thy kingdom to the very ends of this earth by bringing a portion of our goods and gifts and dedicating them unto thee. We ask that the Holy Spirit may supervise our officers and the ministries of our church in the distribution of these gifts, also that thou wilt bless our meditation now together, so that our thoughts and hearts and minds might be lifted up and drawn closer unto thyself. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me read you two verses from the old book of Deuteronomy. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, lest when thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Do you suppose that such a charge from the Bible is relevant today? Here in America, where wealth is increased beyond the wildest imagination of our pilgrim forefathers who came to this land, each year at Thanksgiving, all of us are reminded by the President's proclamation and by our children who come home from schools telling us about what the teacher has taught them regarding that first Thanksgiving. The pilgrims came over here, of course, in 1620. That's almost three and a half centuries ago now. And 350 years ago when they came and sought a harbor in this land, they made a solemn compact before Almighty God. Their first Thanksgiving was not really a Thanksgiving day that was set aside as such, but when they came from off board the ship and set foot upon this land's soil, they bended their knees to Almighty God and they thanked him. What did they thank him for? They thanked him for giving them a safe journey. They thanked him for the unity of their faith in him. They thanked him for the opportunity that would now be theirs. What did they have? They could look back toward the ocean and think of the thousands of miles that separated them between their loved ones and friends. They could look toward the darkness of the forest and think about the dangers that lurked there. They did not find waiting for them houses. They did not find waiting for them inns to which they might repair. But they had to begin with a simple faith in Almighty God and a trust in Him. Their first winter was bitter and bleak. Half of their number died as a result of, star of privation and disease. And then, after a friendly Indian had showed them how to plant corn, and they had had a successful crop that first summer, and their first autumn began to come in this new land, they felt it would be well to rejoice for a while and to praise God for what they had done. The first Thanksgiving service was thoroughly integrated. There were 50 pilgrims who invited 90 American Indians to come and feast with them and to thank God. It's interesting to read what they ate. 
They feasted for three days on huge bowls of clam broth, lobster, fish, eels, wild turkey, and other fowl, venison, cornbread, and salad herbs, Indian pudding, wild plums, berries, and nuts. This is interesting, isn't it, to see what they ate? They returned thanks to God for all that he had given to them, and they shared what they had together. Each state began to think about Thanksgiving. A few of the states made it an official holiday. But then when George Washington became our president, in his first administration, he set aside a day which he declared, and by the way, it was November 26th, he set aside as a day of Thanksgiving. Let me read you what he said in his first proclamation. A day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God. He called upon the people of the New Republic to beseech God to pardon our national and other transgressions, to, prom to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue, and generally to grant unto all mankind such a degree of temporal prosperity as he alone knows best. So thus, in the meager beginnings of our nation, our forefathers set aside a time in which to give thanks to God. But then this day took on a grand new prominence when during the midst of the American Civil War, after many years of urging presidents to declare a national day of thanksgiving, Sarah Hale's petition was finally recognized by a man who had grown in his faith in God to the point that thanksgiving was natural to him and dependence upon God was essential to all of his public utterances, a man by the name of Abraham Lincoln, who in those dark days of the Civil War made a proclamation asking the nation in contrition to forsake its sins and to reckon that the peace which we sought could only come from the hand of God and asking Almighty God to bring justice and equality and freedom to our country. And now where have we come to? We've come to a time when many people have seaside cottages that would have been more than a mansion for Governor Bradford to have dwelt in. The farmers at that first Thanksgiving would never have even dreamed that the world itself could contain the abundance of food that is now produced here in the United States of America alone. Last Sunday morning, it was my privilege at this time to be preaching in a Lutheran church out in Kansas. On the altar, there were sheaves of wheat because this is a great wheat belt of our country. And driving to other preaching assignments there, you could see great combines out cutting the milo and the maize in the fields, corn pickers that were still after some of the corn that had been left, great abundance of harvest everywhere, so much food rotting in many granaries. And yet I wonder if that injunction which we have read from Deuteronomy might not be lodged against us as a nation. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, lest when thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, 
who brought thee out of the land of Egypt. God, I believe, brought us to this nation. He has given us much, and we all know that unto whom much is given, of him shall much be required. When we turn to the pages of the New Testament, in seeking a lesson concerning thanksgiving, we need look no further than the life of our blessed Lord himself. How did the disciples on the road to Emmaus knowing his identity was hidden from them until in the breaking of the bread when he returned thanks and broke bread, then they knew him. There was something special about the way Jesus said the blessing. How do you say the blessing in your house or do you say the blessing at all? Do you thank God for the food that you eat each day? We live in such a place that we can throw food at each other in our cafeteria. No matter whether we like it or don't like it, God Almighty will hold us responsible if we show ingratitude toward him for gifts that we have given to him. There is a verse in the Bible that says that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. But let me tell you, the Lord also loves a grateful receiver. Anyone, anyone loves to give to people who show appreciation for what you give to them. You like to do that. Parents love to give to their children when they show gratitude for the gifts that they have received. No one enjoys giving to an ingrate, to a person who seems to think it's his prerogative to get the gifts that you bring to him. We all love to give to those who are grateful for what they receive. This is the way you qualify for more blessings. If you believe that God has blessed you, thank him for those blessings, and God will give you more blessings. If you are not grateful for the blessings that he has given you, beware, your heart is being lifted up in independence of him, and you disqualify yourself for his blessings. Jesus returned thanks. Remember the little boy and the loaves and the fishes? Out on the mountainside, our Jesus blessed the bread and gave it to the multitudes. He was always returning thanks to God. And that's Jesus Christ, God's Son, thanking God for what God had given unto him. How much more should we who have so much pause to return thanks to God for our daily food? And then this story that I read to you a moment ago teaches us a fine lesson in giving. The thankful heart is rare. Jesus, journeying, saw a group of lepers. Those of you who have, who have seen lepers, and I have, I've seen lepers in Africa, I've seen lepers in Vietnam, I've seen lepers in Thailand, and I can close my eyes and see those people with joints of their fingers gone or with a nose gone or ears gone, horribly mutilated from that devastating disease. And back in the time in which our blessed Lord lived, a leper was segregated from all of the other society as he still is, but even much more severely at that time. You know, it's interesting here how a racial problem is broken down. Did you ever stop to think that there were 10 lepers one of them was a Samaritan. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They had no dealings with each other. But when they had leprosy, who cares whether he's a Jew or who cares whether he's a Samaritan? 
if you've got leper, leprosy, what difference does it make anyway? And so these people, a little colony of misery, ten of them, who have banded themselves together because no one else would have them, ten of them who roamed around together, by law were required to shout out unclean, by law were required to ring a bell, telling people not to come within 50 yards of where they were. They saw Jesus, the scripture says, at a great distance. And from 50 yards distance, they all began to cry out to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now this is prayer. All of us pray. I doubt if there's a single person in this sanctuary at all who has not prayed at one time or another. But what do we do with most of our prayers? We're calling out to God for something. There's an old legend about two angels who went out with baskets. One angel was to go and to take and place in his baskets all of the petitions that came up to God, all of the requests for gifts or for mercies. This angel came back with his baskets overflowing with the petitions of everyone. The other angel was sent out and he was to bring back all of the thank yous to God, all of the praises to God for his goodness. But he had scarce enough thank yous to cover the bottom of his basket when he got back. Well, all ten of the lepers were praying to God, and when we get in trouble, we pray. If you go to the doctor next week and he looks at the x-ray and shakes his head and says, I'm sorry, but there's a tumor here, it looks very grim. You'll pray. You'll pray. Or if someone you love is sick, you'll pray. But do we thank him for the health that we have, the measure of health that we've got today before we get sick? Well, these men had that in common. They prayed, and Jesus heard their prayer. Jesus heard their prayer. And he said to them, go to the priest. The priest was the one who gave you a health certificate saying that you were free of leprosy. Jesus called to them and said, you go to the priest and do what's required of you in the law and you'll be healed. They had faith in what Jesus said and while they were on the way to the temple, they were cured of their leprosy. Nine of them were so glad about their being cured that I'm sure they wanted to run and find their wives or children and tell them about it. There were places that they had to go to but out of that whole group of ten, only one of them thought about the one who had made him well, and he turned back quickly and came to Jesus, shouting with a very loud voice of thank you and praise to God for what God had done through his son. He fell down at the feet of Jesus and thanked him for what he had done. And Jesus, Jesus commended him for this. Jesus told him to go in peace. He gave him another blessing. He told him to go in peace. And then Jesus turned to his disciples, said, isn't it strange? He was amazed at the ingratitude. Isn't it strange? Ten were healed. Only one said, thank you. And then Jesus said, 
and it happens to be a Samaritan. It happens to be a person of a hated race. He pointed that out to them. Now do you think about the times when we're in trouble? C.S. Lewis has a little autobiography called Surprised by Joy. And in it he tells how when he was a little boy and he had a boyish conception of God, his mother got sick and his mother died. And he said he used to pray to God to come and heal his mother. And Lewis has a very interesting line that's well worth remembering this morning. He said, but I prayed to God as though he were some great magician. And I wanted him to come and perform a miracle and make my mother well and then go away. Now isn't that instructive? And that's about the way we do in so much of our devotion to God. We want God to come and make the Cuban Missile Crisis go uh, away from us, to heal us from it, and then we want God to go away so we can go on in our sex orgies, or so we can go on in our gluttony, or so we can forget about church, or so we can forget about our service to him. We want him to do what we want him to do, and then we want him to go away. We want him to go away. There's no sense of real thanksgiving in that, is there? Our prayer. Well, what does thanksgiving do for you? Thanksgiving can do a lot. The mental health people tell us that people who are grateful for small things are mentally more healthy than other people. There is a flavor to their life that's beautiful and good. This is one reason that tragedies sometimes cause us uh, to recognize some of the values of life that we didn't see before. I remember once reading about the Titanic. It struck an iceberg back in 1912 on April the 14th that ripped the whole bottom of the boat out and within four hours it sank. And the whole book was written on it, a very moving book. Uh, and I remember reading in that book a very interesting story how as the passengers began to scramble around for their valuables, one lady raced across the ship as it was listing, running into her stateroom, a wealthy person where she had furs and where there were jewels and diamonds and stuff that she had that was of great uh, material value. You know what she got? She picked up three oranges and ran outside with them, three oranges. They meant more to her than the diamonds and the jewels meant to her. At that time, the diamonds and the jewels could have bought crates and crates and crates of oranges. But in that extremity, that simple little need right there seemed by far the most important thing to her. Sometimes we need to think about that again, too. The simple things are the important things in life. Think about our children. What a great blessing it is to have children. And what a great responsibility it is. How much joy they can be to our heart. How much there is to be grateful to God for when you look into the eyes of a little boy or a little girl that really belongs to you, to your wife, to your family. How precious a gift this is that God has made you responsible for this little, little man or little woman and the extension of your life in that individual and the nourishing and the helping of that person. Healthy people see in this responsibility a love that builds health and that builds strength. Selfish people 
ungrateful and unthankful people do not. And it go, and our health goes away from us there. What happens to an individual can happen to a whole nation as well. The word from Deuteronomy is well taken. Beware, lest when you have all of these things, you forget about God. I wonder if we as a nation are getting to that point in our history. A few years ago, H.W. Prentice wrote these words, which I think are worth reciting, reading to you. He said that history traveled in a cycle. He said it runs from bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to courage, from courage to freedom, from freedom to a measure of physical abundance, from abundance to selfishness, from selfishness to complacency, from complacency to apathy, from apathy to fear, from fear to dependency, from dependency back again into bondage. Our forefathers who came here left England and went to Holland because they were seeking the freedom of expression of their religion and the way in which they could most honor God. When they got into Holland and saw that their children were taking on Dutch customs, they wanted still a freer way to grow. And in the providence of God, it was made possible for them to come here. From that spiritual depth which they had, they created a society that was to be governed by the consent of those who were being governed. They made a compact that would ensure for them civil and religious liberty, and they came to this land in that way. They have enjoyed, and their descendants have enjoyed, a measure of freedom that is grand beyond their wildest dream. And yet what has all of this done to us? Has it led us to selfishness? Has it led us to apathy and complacency? Has it led us to a dependency on things? Will it lead us back into bondage again? Let us stand in prayer. <clears throat> Open our eyes, O God, our Father, so that we may be able to see the gifts which thou hast made available unto us. The gifts that are all about us if we only had eyes to see. Add to us that grace of a thankful heart so that with joy our lives may be lived in gratitude for that salvation which is ours in Jesus Christ and for the graces which he has made available to us. We thank thee for the freedoms we know in this land, for the opportunities we have here in this school, for the families from which we come, for that measure of strength and health which we enjoy. Oh God, help us to make good use of them. In Jesus' name.